The Bible reading is taken from 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting to read at verse 22 and finishing at chapter 2, verse 3. And we're using the NIV version for those of you who are following on your phones. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thanks, Sharon. Just while I put my headset on, ask the person next to you what their swimming lessons in life have been like. Sorry if that's raised any trauma for you. That's... Well, when um, our sons, Robert and Owen, began their swimming lessons when they were little, back in England this was, it was a real eye-opener to us. Because their swimming instructor got in the pool with them. Now, that might not sound very strange to you, but this is, um, like Sharon and I were, went to school in Manchester around about the same time. This was our experience. That photograph's from 1953, but that is exactly what our swimming lessons were like. So the swimming instructor um, stood at the edge of the pool, yell, basically yelling, swim! <laughs> and he had two poles. One of them had a big scoop on the end, so that if you didn't get your face in the water enough, he'd grab a scoop of water and pour it on you. And the other was this huge hook, which was presumably for life-saving, and looked more frightening than drowning. So, you know, (laughs) I'm not going to drown you. We've been um, doing this Summer of Love series, and again and again, we've, we've been called to love one another as God's people just as we've been loved by God in Christ. But what I'm worried is that I just sound like that swimming instructor, instead of shouting, swim, I'm just standing here going, love. <laughs> just love one another. Go on, love. Maybe I should get a big stick. Is that poking you or something? But if it were that easy, we'd all be loving each other already, Right? Um, I don't think anybody thinks loving one another is a bad idea, but we all know our circumstances, maybe like past hurts we've had in the past make us put up our defences, and sometimes people like me just being really hard to love make, make loving one another hard, don't they? So today, uh, the Apostle Peter in this letter is written, Again, tells us to love one another, but he helps us out with two key pieces of motivation, like two ways to change our mindset 
um, two ways to change the way we see ourselves that as we grow into them will help us to love one another. So first of all, there's an outline on your leaflet there. First, we'll look at the love that we're called to, to love one another deeply from the heart. But then we'll look at our motivation for that and our source for that, our purity and our permanence. Uh, Whenever you're reading the Bible, it's a good idea to try and get your head around the context of the part you're, you're reading. So this is a letter by the Apostle Peter, and he's writing to Christians who are being persecuted and mocked and abused for belonging to Jesus. And the good news is we don't have to guess what it is that Peter wants to say to this to these Christians, because he tells us in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, so that's like his scribe, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. The true grace of God... Stand fast in it. So anytime you read in 1 Peter, two questions to ask is, how does this passage declare the true grace of God? And how does this passage encourage Christians to stand firm in that grace? So what does it tell us about the true grace of God? And how does it help us to stand firm? So we're kind of taking those reverse order today. First, we'll look at how Peter encourages us to stand firm, um, loving one another deeply. And then we'll look at... um, the grace of God that fuels that. So first up, love one another deeply from the heart. So verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So love there has the sense of, of having great affection for, a deep care, a deep concern for. And not just loving a bit, loving deeply. That means uh, like loving at full tilt. The image of an athlete straining. Have you watched the tennis? Have you watched the tennis? If you picture Djokovic, you see how he stretches? How much he can stretch to return a serve? He looks like he's made of elastic, doesn't he? It's that kind of effort and the, the constancy that goes into that that Peter's got in mind for our genuine deep care for another, straining, full tilt. You see, grace, we'll look at grace more in the next two points, but grace is opposed to trying to earn salvation, but grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but is not opposed to effort. And we love one another because we're saved, not in order to get saved, but we still strain at full tilt, to love one another. Love one another deeply. Now, you might object, I'm not a very loving person. I'm not sort of lovey-dovey, soppy like that, you know. And I'm British, so I'm definitely not lovey-dovey, soppy like that. But this isn't talking about a soppy, ooh, isn't everything hearts and flowers kind of love. Note the realism of chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Peter knows the kind of things we're up against. See, loving like this means also pruning out bad stuff as well. Loving this like this means seeing church as your family and learning to be a family member. I'm from a big family, five sisters, one brother, foster children as well. Did we always get on? 
Of course we didn't. But that's kind of beside the point, isn't it? We're still family. In the end, we all still cared for each other and looked out for each other, and we still do. And it's worth remembering who's writing this letter. Peter, the Apostle Peter, telling us to love deeply like this. He knows what people are like because he knows what he's like. When Jesus first called him, this uh, seasoned fisherman, he'd had a night of catching no fish whatsoever. Jesus told him to cast his nets out again, only for them to be filled to overflowing. And then Peter was acutely aware of what he was like. Luke chapter 5, verse 8. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Peter knew what it was to get loving other Christians wrong. This same Peter, he had later on in Acts, he had a, in Acts 10, he had a vision freeing Jewish Christians to eat all kinds of foods and to associate freely with Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And yet, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 12, it has to be rebuked by the Apostle Paul after he's been influenced to pull back from that and not associate with Gentiles. So Peter's call for us to love one another comes with experience from the University of Life and the School of Hard Knocks. So that he can say in chapter 4, verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love one another deeply from the heart. So we've got to be aware of our cultural biases that might get in the way of this. So the two that spring to mind, I've mentioned before, is um, not being lovey-dovey. We don't want that to get in the way. But privacy, I think in Australia, privacy is a huge thing. You, know, you see the houses with the colour bond fence, people driving to the garage, going through the kitchen. You never see them. Privacy. Do people at church even know you? I reckon a good way, a good measure, little test is, have people here been in your home? That's one. Privacy, I think, is a barrier for us in loving one another. Another cultural barrier is our resistance to earnestness. By that I mean, well, nobody likes people being too showy or emotional or we call people a bit intense, don't we? Or um, a drama queen, things like that. We need to make sure we don't uh, limit our love for one another because we think it's a bit over the top culturally. It is a bit over the top culturally, but who cares? Okay. A good way to think about loving one another is turning outwards the love that we have for ourselves. Because I don't think we're sort of affectionate about ourselves, are we? Oh, Colin, you're, you're looking great today. You know, you're, you're such a nice guy, kind of thing. We're not like that with ourselves, are we? We're not soppy with ourselves. But we do spend a lot of energy having a deep care and concern for ourselves. Well, let's turn that outwards, have that deep care and concern for each other. 
So love deeply from the heart. Now, okay, so, so far I've been prodding with a stick. It's been like my 80s swimming lesson, love. So let's look at our first source of motivation, our first way of changing the way we think of ourselves, our purity. To grow in our love, we keep going back to the love that God has shown us in his grace. So verse 22, now that you have been purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So just to explain a few bits, obeying the truth there, that's the obedience of faith. That's the obedience of hearing the gospel message, believing it, and responding in repentance and faith. So not just assenting to the fact, saying, yeah, okay, I believe that's true, but actually trusting Jesus as Lord and ruler of your life, of throwing your lot in with him, depending on him. And when you became a Christian, that's the obedience you had, and now it's the obedience you keep on having, faith. And the result of that is we're purified. That means we're forgiven. Everything we ever have done or ever will do wrong against God, against each other, is no longer up for the punishment we deserve for it, but it's forgiven, cancelled out, paid for on the cross. You are purified. Is that how you see yourself? Your relationship with God is all sorted. Do you know that? Do you know it deeply in your heart? Or to put it another way, how much of our not loving people at church deeply, how much of that comes from still trying to save ourselves, still trying to win at life ourselves? Because here's the truth of it. From earlier on in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, in his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith was shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So whatever happens in life now, our perfect life with God in eternity can't be touched we're safe we're saved and as we remember that fill our minds and hearts with that truth as we talk about that truth with each other as we trust in it with our lives god grows us in our love for him verses eight and nine peace one peter one verse eight and nine though you have not seen him you love him And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I was reading this week about the American bookstore, um, Barnes & Noble. So it's a bit like Dimmock's, but bigger. And who'd have thought in this day and age of Amazon and Kindles and stuff, a physical bookstore selling physical books is not just surviving, but it's growing and expanding, opening new shops. Now, it was not long ago about to crash and burn, hitting the skids. 
But its turnaround's been widely attributed to its new boss, a guy called James Dunn. And what's so different about James Dunn? He loves books. He's obsessed with books. And so he got rid of all the toys and gift bits of the shops and all the other things getting in the way. He stopped letting the publishers tell him to put Prince Harry's biography at the front and centre, how to arrange the stores. And the new guiding principle for for their stores, books and readers first, everything else second. Books and readers first, everything else second. Because he loved books. Our new guiding principle, our new identity, is loved and forgiven by God's grace. And that grows us in a genuine love for each other. A sincere love, it says in verse 22. A sincere love for each other. That's literally unhypocritical, not fate, genuine. See, our certain salvation by grace, that means we're freed. We're freed from the slavery of trying to save ourselves. And our certain victory in Christ means we're free from trying to win at life. And so we can get on with deeply caring for others who have been saved into the same family. When we think of the lengths Jesus went to to save us, stepping up to be there for one another doesn't seem such a stretch anymore, does it? When we consider the offensiveness of our own sin against God and his grace in forgiving it, well, bearing a grudge or being offended by someone at church seems a bit petty, doesn't it? When we remember how Jesus has loved us, it's not me, it's fine. (laughs) When we remember how Jesus has loved us, we see loving like him means giving ourselves up for one another. And that means necessarily in the here and now, in worldly terms, we're going to miss out. Loving one another, self-sacrificial like that, means in worldly terms, we're going to miss out. We're going to suffer net loss. And yet, ironically, it's this kind of genuine self-sacrificial love for one another that builds us up perhaps in ways we would never have dreamt of. So we're motivated to love by our purity. That's our first mindset change, our first way of changing way of looking at ourselves. We're pure. Remember that. And our second is our permanence. That's the other mind shift we need, a new way of look, um, thinking about ourselves. We need to have an eternal perspective of each other. This new life that we've been given isn't temporary, it's forever. Verse 23, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and for all their glory and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So Peter's contrasting what's temporary with what's permanent. And he's illustrating it with biology. You might have seen in the news um, recently the Botanic Gardens corpse flower. This is some of the 
from the article, a corpse flower which emits a stench that can travel for kilometres to lure flesh flies, sweat bees, I never want to meet one of them, and carrion beetles, bloomed in Adelaide Botanic, Botanic Gardens. It only blooms once every few years and only for about 48 hours to attract insects that have already wallowed in the pollen of another corpse flower. The rarity of the plant itself and its flowering has brought thousands of people to the gardens who have queued for hours to get a mere whiff of its stink. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. But, uh, but the corpse flower just shows us kind of more starkly what we all know. Our bodies are perishable, temporary, here one day, gone the next. We're born from our parents' perishable bodies, and so our bodies are perishable. But when it comes to that obedience of faith in Jesus, uh, we were spiritually reborn. And this time, not coming from something that will die, but through the living and enduring word of God. And verse 24 and 25 there, Peter's quoting Isaiah 40, that the word of the Lord endures forever. And so we've been made new by this word that isn't perishable, won't die, will last forever. And what is that word? Verse 25, this is the word that was preached to you. So the word is the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And as we heard that good news about Jesus, about his life, his death, his resurrection, and God opened our minds and our hearts to that message, and we responded in faith, we were given life that will last for eternity, life after death. The gospel gives eternal life because it's the living word of the living God. See, when you and I speak, we can make things happen, can't we? Well, usually, I tried to get you quiet before and you weren't listening, but never mind. Yeah. Like our dog, for example, Lily, when you, when you say sit, she'll sit, she'll, she'll roll, she'll play dead, she'll even blink on command. Uh, also at home, when I shout, dinner's ready, uh, crickets, and eventually people start turning up one at a time. If I mutter quietly under my breath, anyone for ice cream? From the depths of the house I hear, oh yes please, and everyone comes running. <laughs> when I speak, things happen. When God speaks by his spirit through his word in the Bible, he creates eternal life just by speaking to us. Well, how is that motivation for us to love? Well, if this life on earth, this temporary stuff is all there is, well, loving our church family deeply doesn't really make much sense. It doesn't make sense to be, give yourself over to loving deeply, selflessly, earnestly. Because it would make, if everything's temporary, it would make more sense to prioritize temporary things. Our reputation, our time, our, our home, our work, our family. But if we see church through God's eyes, as his plan for creation, gathering a people to himself, a family created by him to spend eternity together, don't worry, God will knock off all your hard edges by the time we're spending eternity together. Well, if that's God's plan, then that means everything we do 
to love and care for one another has got eternal significance. It's joining in with God and serving him in building up Christ's body for his glory. So when you call someone up, when you help them move house, when you make the effort to be at growth group or to be here on a Sunday when you really don't feel like it, when you drop off that meal, when you open yourself up and take the risk of friendship, all these things have got ramifications for eternity. And they're the most significant things happening in your life. They might seem awkward, might seem hard work, they might seem insignificant at times, but actually, they're among the most significant things happening on the planet. So love deeply, motivated by remembering that you're purified by grace, remembering that you've got eternal life and a part of God's plan for that eternity. And the way to keep remembering, keep returning to the living and enduring word of God. So chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Crave God's living word. Let it keep reminding you of his grace. Let it keep convincing you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ deeply. Let God's word enlarge your view of what church is and your place in it. To finish then, let me ask you, what place is being part of this church going to have for you this year? If you're heavily involved, remember to make sure it's because you know God's love, not in order to earn it. If you feel like it's a strain and difficult sometimes, just be encouraged. That's normal. And if you're lacking inspiration to love deeply like this, feed on his word through which he brought you to eternal life. Ask him to convince you that this community in eternity, is the most significant bunch of relationships in your life. Verse 22. Now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And just finally, really finally, you saying. <laughs> it's not a preacher's final, it's a real finish, this one. If you feel like a failure in this, in loving deeply one another like this, or maybe you feel like you're too far gone to be a proper part of church, and you just want to stay on the fringes, again, just remember who wrote this letter. Peter, who in Matthew 26, 33, said he wouldn't... He'd never fall away, even if everybody else did. But by verse 40, he's fallen asleep. And by verse 75, he's denied Jesus three times. 
Yet this same Peter, by God's grace, is commissioned by Jesus to love, to shepherd his flock, to be Jesus' apostolic witness, uh, and by the power of the Holy Spirit to preach to massive crowds. He calls a crowd of 3,000 to repentance and faith in Acts 2. This is the same Simon Peter who Jesus tells by his grace. I tell, you that you are, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's pray. Lord God, please help us to remember all that you've done for us, the grace that you've shown us, your suffering for us, to bring us into right relationship with you. And remember who we are, purified, forgiven, our place in heaven secure, shielded by your power. Please help that grow in our love for each other, a deep and sincere love. And please help us have that assurance of eternity that we're born again, not of perishable seed, but we've got eternal life that's begun already. Please help us see this clearer and clearer and please give us practical ways to love one another and keep enduring when that's really hard. Amen.